At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to a breath of fresh earth. Taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. How much does it really cost to drive an electric car? Electricity isn't free. The Energy Department created something called the e-gallon to help people understand the cost of driving an electric car. What's an e-gallon? It represents the cost of fueling a vehicle with electricity compared to a similar vehicle that runs on gas. This gives us a chance to compare the cost of driving an electric car with a similar sized car that uses gasoline. Right now, it's reasonable to say it would be about 50% less to charge your vehicle with electricity than to fill it up with gasoline. Now, this does not consider the peace of mind knowing that you're not contributing to poisoning the planet. That's got to be worth something. It also does not include the cost of maintaining your electric car, which is about $800 a year less than a traditional combustion engine with all its parts and wear and tear. You might even be able to save more money if your city gives you a discount for charging your vehicle at night. Energy.gov releases the state and national averages for e-gallon, and they coordinate that with the Energy Information Administration's monthly report on electricity prices. Head over to energy.gov to see today's price for an e-gallon. I hear a lot of people talking about how much it costs to replace a battery in an electric vehicle. Tesla warranties the batteries and drive unit for a period of 8 years or 150,000 miles, whichever comes first, with minimum 70% retention of the battery capacity over the warranty period. According to Interesting Engineering, the replacement cost for a Tesla battery is somewhere between three dollars and $7,000. Consumer Reports estimates the average electric vehicle battery pack lifespan to be about 200,000 miles, which is nearly 17 years of use if you drive about 12,000 miles a year. Tesla's working on technology that would enable its electric car batteries to last for as many as 1 million miles. That sounds a bit hyperbolic, but remember, Elon Musk built a rocket that propelled a crew to the International Space Station, and the rocket returned to Earth and landed like a ship landing on the moon from a 1950s sci-fi movie. There's no doubt battery life will improve over time. Who else is making electric vehicles? Well, pretty much everybody. Even Bentley will offer hybrid variations of every car they make by 2023, and in 2025, they're going to make their first fully electric vehicle. Climb aboard. The electric vehicle revolution is here and growing fast. Let the electric vehicle podcast begin. When I say Tesla, most people think of the vehicle. But when I think of Tesla, I think of the famous inventor Nikolai Tesla. Born in 1856 in Serbia, eventually he made his way to the United States. He was a genius and famous inventor. He died in 1943. He's famous for his War of the Currents, 
with one-time employer and later his rival, Thomas Edison. They were fighting over the form of electricity that would become the standard. Edison championed direct current, or DC, while Tesla and his buddy George Westinghouse were encouraging alternating current, or AC. AC, of course, eventually won out over DC, despite Edison's attempts to malign Tesla's invention by pushing the electric chair as a method of execution to show how dangerous AC was. Tesla was locked in a race with Italian inventor Marconi to be the first to transmit messages across the Atlantic Ocean. Tesla began securing funding, much of it coming from famous American money man J.P. Morgan, to build a wireless transmission station on Long Island with a massive 186-foot tall tower. Marconi won that battle, and that's why we call the place on a ship where wireless operators transmit communications with other ships and to shore using dots and dashes the Marconi Room, not the Tesla Room. The most famous Marconi room was on the Titanic. I can still see the images of Jack Phillips and Harold Bride sending out their SOS messages on the Marconi transmitter. They were the heroes of the ship, staying on duty as long as possible, using Marconi's invention to reach other ships, and that helped save over 700 lives. Marconi narrowly escaped disaster. He had been invited to, to sail on the Titanic, but ended up going to New York earlier on the Lusitania. His wife and children had intended to follow by sailing on the Titanic, but one child fell sick, and they decided not to go. Meanwhile, Tesla moved on to other projects. By the way, during the 1890s, what are some of Tesla's most notable inventions? The Tesla coil. Chances are you've already seen this invention. It's a transformer used to produce high-voltage, low-current, high-frequency, alternating current electricity. To observers, it appears as if the lightning is being shot into the air. The radio. Before his lab burned down in a horrible fire, Tesla discovered that he could use his coils to transmit and receive powerful radio signals, turning them to resonate at the same frequency. By early 1895, he was ready to transmit a signal 50 miles from his lab to West Point, New York, but the fire destroyed all his work. While he was rebuilding, a young Italian experimenter named Marconi was working in England. When Marconi later set up his long-distance demonstrations, he used a Tesla oscillator to transmit the signals across the English Channel. Marconi keeps getting in his way again. What about the neon lamp? Tesla didn't invent fluorescent or neon lights, but he did contribute to improving both inventions. He took the lights and created the first neon sign. At the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, he demonstrated neon light signs and how they can make unique designs and even form words. Thanks to Tesla, you can identify your favorite bar, the Niagara Falls Transformer House. When it came to deciding what company would build a powerful generator at Niagara Falls, Thomas Edison was the first choice. After the team reviewed Tesla's work for Westinghouse, the Falls, Niagara Falls Commission went with Tesla's alternating current power. Tesla's system worked well and became a standard for hydroelectric power. And of course, alternating current. Alternating current is considered Tesla's crowning achievement. While not the inventor of alternating current, AC power allows for electricity to be sent over long distances much more efficiently. Like every person, Tesla had his shortfalls and disappointments. I'm leaving those out of this podcast, and instead, I'm going to focus on his brilliance, not his imperfections. Tesla's reemergence on the national scene was brought back to the limelight when Elon Musk named his electric vehicle company Tesla. Thank God he didn't name it Marconi. That might have led to a big fight in heaven between the two gifted inventors. It's time for the Climate Hero of the Week. Elon Musk. He's had quite a career. He's an engineer, industrial designer, entrepreneur, philanthropist. He's the founder and CEO and chief designer of SpaceX. 
CEO and product architect of Tesla, founder of The Boring Company, co-founder of Neuralink, co-founder and initial co-chairman of OpenAI. He was elected to the Fellow of Royal Society in 2018. As of August 14th of this year, his net worth was estimated at $76 billion. And he's listed by Forbes as the seventh richest person in the world. And when we read over his accomplishments, it seems pretty reasonable. I think he's earned it. He had an early involvement with XCOM and PayPal. Made millions from those companies, and then his fortunes rose even higher, like all the way to space. More on that in a minute. The focus of this episode is electric vehicles, and of course, everyone's heard or seen a Tesla riding down the street. It's the best-selling electric vehicle in the world, with about 80% of the United States market share in 2019. So this seemed like a good time to cover Musk on the podcast, and just wait until the Tesla truck enters the market. What else is Musk up to? Solar City Corporation is a subsidiary of Tesla Inc. They develop and sell products in solar technology and batteries. They make a turnkey residential battery backup service that incorporates Tesla's Powerwall. Powerwall is intended to be used for home energy storage for solar self-consumption, backup power, and off-the-grid use. Solar City was the second largest provider of solar power systems in the United States. The goal for Solar City and Tesla, the goal for Solar City and Tesla is to help fight global warming. In 2013, Musk unveiled a concept for a high-speed transportation system incorporating reduced pressure tubes, which pressurized capsules ride on an air cushion driven by linear induction motors and air compressors. The initial plans called for a route between Los Angeles and San Francisco. In 2017, Musk said that he had received what he described as a verbal government approval to build a hyperloop from New York City to Washington, D.C., with stops in Philadelphia and Baltimore. That would be a pretty good career, but there's more. In 2015, Musk announced the creation of OpenAI, a not-for-profit artificial intelligence research company. OpenAI aims to develop artificial general intelligence in a way that is safe and beneficial to humanity. Okay, now he's done, right? Nope. In 2016, Musk founded Neuralink, a neurotechnology startup company that integrates the human brain with artificial intelligence. That sounds kind of scary. The company creates devices that can be implanted into the human brain to help human beings merge with software and keep pace with advancements in artificial intelligence. That sounds like science fiction. But these enhancements could improve the memory and allow more direct interfacing with computer devices. Musk sees Neuralink and OpenAI as related. He says OpenAI is a nonprofit dedicated to minimizing the dangers of artificial intelligence, while Neuralink is working on ways to impact technology into our brains to recreate mind-computer interfaces. There's a big announcement coming the end of August, so be sure to check it out. Wow, quite a list. Am I missing anything else? Yes, SpaceX. SpaceX develops and manufactures launch vehicles. The vehicle launched successfully on May 30th, 2020 and successfully docked with the International Space Station on May 31st and arrived home safely when the mission ended. SpaceX began development of the Starlink constellation of low-Earth orbit satellites in 2015 to provide satellite internet access across the globe. We spoke about Starlink in a previous episode. Want to follow Elon on Twitter? Get in line. There's 38 million other people already following him. Twitter is your thing. Head to SpaceX account and join the 13 million people enjoying cool videos or the 6 million followers on the Tesla account. What's so astounding to me is that after I went through all of his accomplishments, I thought to myself, geez, how old is this guy? He's only 49. How many more creations does he have left in that brain? My guess is there's a lot more left to create 
and we will be the beneficiary of those ideas. Now it's time for the Climate Villain of the Week. Thomas Edison and Henry Ford worked together to conceive a low-priced electric car. It's true. About the same time Ford started the Ford Automobile Company, Edison had made inroads into battery technology and began offering nickel-iron storage batteries for several uses, among them automobiles. He planned to convert four large touring cars from gasoline to electric power. In early 1914, word had gotten around that work had started on a low-priced electric car. Ford himself even confirmed the rumors in the January 11, 1914 issue of the New York Times. Ford said, Within a year, I hope, we shall begin the manufacture of an electric automobile. The fact is Mr. Edison and I have been working for some years on an electric automobile which would be cheap and practicable. Ford said, Within a year, I hope we shall begin the manufacture of an electric automobile. The fact is that Mr. Edison and I have been working for some years on an electric automobile. Cars have been built for experimental purposes, and we are satisfied now the way is clear to success. The problem so far has been to build a storage battery of light weight, which would operate for long distances without recharging. Mr. Edison has been experimenting with such a battery for some time. End quote. Rumors swirled in the automotive press for the remainder of 1914. Edison himself, in an interview with Automobile Topics in May of 1914, divulged no details and made his best, it's coming, just be patient, line. He said, Mr. Henry Ford is making plans for the tools, special machinery, factory buildings, and equipment for the production of this new electric. I believe that ultimately the electric motor will be universally used for trucking in all large cities and that the electric automobile will be the family carriage of the future. All trucking must come to electricity. I am convinced that it will not be long before all the trucking in New York City will be electric. End quote. So what happened? Ford demanded the use of Edison's nickel-iron batteries in the car and would have no other battery powering the car. Edison's batteries had very high internal resistance and were thus incapable of powering an electric car under many circumstances. Heavier lead-acid batteries were substituted behind Ford's back, and when he found out, he went ballistic. The program quickly fell to the wayside. According to the Ford Century, Ford invested $1.5 million in the electric car project and nearly bought 100,000 batteries from Edison before the project fell apart. World War I may have had a negative effect on the development of the electric car, too. There were no charging stations available in the middle of the battlefield in France. But imagine if these two giants of industry could have worked out their problems. No combustion engine for all those years. All the exhaust fumes and the fossil fuel dug out of the ground to keep millions of cars on the road. What a shame they couldn't have figured it out. Fast forward 100 years, Ford recently announced that it plans to invest $135 million into electric car development. Hey, Rachel, why don't you introduce the next segment for us? In the mix. Thanks, Rachel. Now it's Izzy's turn to count us up, not down, to number 18. Thanks, ladies. 10, 10. We just talked about Tesla, but have you heard about their latest challenger? A $15,000 electric three-wheeler built in Vancouver. It's all electric like a Tesla, but it's priced more like a Ford Fiesta. It's one of the oddest looking vehicles you've ever seen, and it may just redefine the commuter car. It's called the Solo. It's a single-seat car with only three wheels. It's 100% powered by electricity. Electra Mechanica aims to provide drivers superb 
driving experience and at the same time protect the environment. The vehicles are compact, allowing drivers to park and navigate traffic with enough trunk space for groceries. The Solo costs $15,000. By December, 5,000 of them will be zipping around the streets of Los Angeles, with an additional 70,000 to be delivered over the next two years across the West Coast. My favorite television show of all time is Top Gear, the BBC long-running automobile show starring Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, and James May. Clarkson and Hammond were on the show from 2002 to 15, and May joined them in 2003. In 2010, the show featured a three-wheeled car made by Reliant Motors, an English company, called the Robin. It was a hilarious episode as the crew modified the car to make sure it rolled over easily. The car was introduced in 1973, and production ended in 1981, with a few failed attempts to reintroduce the car several other times. I guess it was time for the three-wheeled car to roll over and die once and for all. Good luck to the Solo. Number 11. Electromechanica also announced today a new electric roadster called Tofino. The company claims the vehicle will have a range of up to 250 miles on a single charge and a starting price of $37,000 U.S. Check out their website. The Tofino is a great-looking car. Number 12. By 2035, the United Kingdom will ban the sale of new diesel, gas, or hybrid cars, only allowing the purchase of electric or hydrogen cars. I wonder what buyers will do later this decade when it will be apparent their combustion engine vehicle will be obsolete in the coming years. I guess it'll be like buying a Betamax video player when you've heard about a new product called the DVD. 13. United Parcel Service ordered 10,000 electric delivery trucks from electric vehicle maker Arrival. Who was Arrival? It's a London-based technology company with a mission to make electric vehicles mainstream. The company is currently focused on producing lightweight commercial vehicles. In June of this year, Arrival announced a new passenger bus designed for coronavirus-era social distancing. What's really great about these buses is they'll be priced about the same as their diesel competitors. Number 14. General Motors is investing $2.2 billion to make their Detroit Hamtrank assembly plant a state-of-the-art facility to build electric and self-driving cars. This is going to require GM to hire an additional 2,000 people. They're building an all-electric pickup truck that's due out next year. And then they're going to release Cruise Origin, an all-electric self-driving car. Imagine getting into a car with no steering wheel or a gas pedal. I know that sounds crazy. Imagine what Henry Ford would say. But I guess if you can put an airplane on autopilot, you can do the same thing with a car. It's just at 35,000 feet. There isn't a lot of traffic, and there certainly are no pedestrians. Unless it's that monster from the Cloverfield Paradox movie. That thing was tall. Number 15. Don't forget about the Hummer H3 that's coming out in 2022. It's going to set you back about $70,000. The good news is that it doesn't run on gasoline. The bad news is the range of the vehicle is about 150 yards before it needs recharging. The true range of the truck going to be in the vicinity of 400 miles. I've heard people complain about range anxiety as a reason they won't buy an electric vehicle. Where have you people been? You just pop a little blue pill into the engine and you could go forever. 16. Volkswagen is working on an autonomous mobile charging robot that would scoot around the parking lot and charge your vehicle for you while you're at work. 17. And why are we moving to electric vehicles? We simply have to stop using fossil fuel to run our lives or figure out a better way to keep the carbon dioxide from entering the atmosphere. Or else. Or else what? 
so we don't become the next Fairborn, a village in Gwynedd. Fairborn is a Welsh seaside village. They're going to be the UK's first climate refugees. The government of Gwynedd is decommissioning the entire city by 2054 because of the threat of sea level rise and coastal flooding linked to climate change. All 450 homes, the local pub, the post office, and a handful of shopkeepers all have to go. You can imagine what this news has done to the value of homes. They've plummeted. Who would buy a house in that city? The city decided it would be too expensive to save the city. So they're just closing up. When we think about climate refugees, the first thing that comes to my mind is Africa, with soaring temperatures and lack of water. That's going to happen soon enough, but I never imagined a town in the United Kingdom giving up hope in 2020 and accepting the fact that they have no future. Number 18. The United States Post Office has been in the news a lot lately, for good reason. Slowdowns at the post office are the issue. The causes are many. Coronavirus sickened staffers, an increase in package orders across the postal system, and lastly, newly appointed Postmaster General Louis DeJoy instituted cuts and service changes. The post office is the only organization that ships live chicks and other small animals. Farmers in Maine rely on this service when they order chicks from other parts of the country. This summer, 4,800 chicks have arrived dead. One farmer received her order of 800 chicks, and they were all dead on arrival. Democratic Maine Representative Shelley Pingree is demanding answers. She's written letters to DeJoy and U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue. Good luck with that. If there's anyone on the planet that cares less about the life expectancy of a chicken, it's Sonny Perdue. We are celebrating a special day for a very special man. Thomas Sterry Hunt was born in Connecticut on September 5, 1826, and died in 1892. Hunt was a geologist and a chemist. He continued the work starting by John Tyndall. We celebrated him in episode 12. He continued Tyndall's research on greenhouse gases. Hunt first proposed a theory which linked climate change from the Carniferous to the modern age to concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere in the 1863 submission to the American Journal of Science and Arts. This was years before Arrhenius, episode 2, established the theory of the greenhouse effect. The great Swede was only 19 years old at the time. David Keeling, episode 5, demonstrated that human-caused carbon dioxide emissions are large enough to cause global warming. See how it happens? Each scientist stands on the shoulders of giants to teach us how the world works. To be fair, Sir Isaac Newton is credited with coining that phrase. As discussed in a previous episode, the Keeling Award is given to the best climate solutions for the world every year. It's all connected, from the time of da Vinci until today. While living in Canada, Hunt perfected the green ink used by the United States Treasury in printing money. The money became known as greenbacks, and the new paper money greatly reduced counterfeiting during the Civil War. Ever since then, the back of most U.S. government banknotes has been printed in green. So the next time you whip out a $50 bill with President Grant's picture on it, think of Thomas Hunt working on greenhouse gases. And with that, I say to you, that ends episode 14. Thank you very much for listening. Please tell a friend about the podcast. You can contact me at rf at richardfriedman.net. Follow me at A Breath of Fresh Earth on Twitter. Don't forget about the man that lived hundreds of years ago who followed science to learn about the heavens and the earth. Good night, Galileo. Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. 
If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been a breath of fresh air. Thanks for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.